What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome in to episode four of the Two and a Half Marks podcast, where we remember some guys in the wrestling world. I'm David Statman, alongside my good friends, Jake Long and Angelo Inglisa. And this week, the WWE Network Randomizer was very kind to us. We are taking our first dip into the waters of extreme championship wrestling. ECW, Anarchy Rules, 1999. And I know... For the two of you guys, probably, I know for Angelo at least, probably first exposure to ECW as it was. I know, Jake, you said you had maybe watched a little bit, but not like a lot. What was this experience like for you boys? So, you are right. This is my first experience to ECW. Uh, like, ECW, let's say ECW proper. I was around for the reboot in WWE when it was on Tuesday nights. Oh, uh, that's nothing. Yeah, no, it's nothing at all compared to what this was. They try to encapsula- encapsulate, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce anything, uh, encapsulate <laughs> the feel of what ECW was, but it was totally, it had the WWE stench to it as well. This was a wild pay-per-view. I looked up some reviews to it before I actually watched it. It seems universally well-liked. I know on Wikipedia it says it's a well-liked pay-per-view. Uh, I looked at some of the star ratings. You know, it's, they're pretty good matches on this card. When watching it, you do see these great matches, but then there's just so much clutter, and I think that the clutter kind of drags it down. But this was so much fun to see. This was a good Jake, interview. Jake, before you get started, Angelo, are you wearing a Birmingham Iron AAF shirt right now? You are now? darn right I am. <laughs> How did you acquire one of them? My brother worked for a Dick's while I was uh, at the University of Alabama, and they had a whole bunch of extra gear. After the league went belly up, so he snagged a whole bunch of it at a fair price. I also have uh, Birmingham Iron socks somewhere in my house. Yeah. Rest in peace to the Birmingham Iron. Luis Perez is still just slinging <laughs> 30-yard bombs in our hearts. I, I think the only thing that could make it better was if it was like an L.A. Extreme shirt or something like that. Just to just to match the intensity that was uh, Anarchy Rules 99. Um, now, this was... You know, I've, I've seen ECW things before. I, I especially love watching Paul Heyman speak in the old ECW because my man still had it back then, and he could cuss even more. It was great. Um, but, like, this was I, – I agree with what Ange said. Like, the whole second segment of this show was just, like, five different things back to back to back. And, like, I was just sitting there like, man, I bet Paul Heyman is just having a great time watching this. But I have no idea what that. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't know like like who these people were. But I was just like, man, they're just. I guess they hate each other. It's a struggle yeah. to keep your mind together throughout the entire pay per view. It's just like oh, everything was, is going everywhere. My mind was melting the entire time. I was like, this is just bringing my brain cells down a level. But uh, now I loved it. I had a great time watching this one. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a lot of the charm of the old ECW. Is that it was so like <laughs> it was so lo fi. And it was not like, it just did not feel produced at all. It just felt like a bunch of dudes were kind of just doing a bunch of random stuff. And the crowd loved it. I mean, like, for that, like, period of time, like, 90s, like, it's all, like, the entire crowd is, like, 22-year-old white dudes who live in their, live with their parents still. <laughs> and, like, it's just, it's cool. Like, it's just, it was cool. Don't talk, like, I, I don't want to talk sound, about Angelo like that, though. I was going to say, you mean the entire demographic of this podcast. <laughs> like, hey, Angelo... 
is 23 and he still lives. 24, <laughs> get it right. 24. Wow. I was going to say 24. Damn, I messed it up. I'm sorry, buddy. Dude, college loans are just awful. The, the, I need this podcast to take off so I can afford to live in my own place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, let's hope we start getting the Spotify checks running in. We'll get like a 44 We'll get like a 44 cent Spotify check next week. <laughs> yes. But, hey, I mean, we've but, been doing uh, this for a month. Spotify, sign us. Let's go. Let's get. Let's become Twitch partners. <laughs> Do the podcast live on Twitch. Yeah, but so let's let's jump into the show. We are it's September nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. We are at the Odium Expo Center in Villa Park, Illinois, in suburban Chicago. Six thousand people in attendance, which they were billing as. I don't know if this is true or if it's how long it stayed true, but the biggest attendance of an ECW show to that point in the promotion's history for the pay-per-view Anarchy Rules 1999 main events. We have a advertise like the, the, the two big title matches ended up being different from what they were advertised going into the night. It was supposed to be a one-on-one match for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship between Taz, the champion, on one of his last nights in ECW before he had was going to head over to the WWF where he had already signed a contract and Masato Tanaka, and then the World Television Championship, which was going to be the champion, Rob Van Dam, defending against Johnny Smith. Both those matches ended up changing, and we'll kind of get into that, why that happened and what happened when we get there. But we start out the night with, and this was when I was looking at the card and trying to remember, you know, and see what was going on in this night, a match that I saw that I immediately got excited about seeing. We have Lance Storm and Jerry Lynn, two awesome athletes, two awesome workers, completely in their prime, just leading this off with an awesome match. And I mean, I think for the first thing, we, we were talking about this, me and Jake, a little bit before we started recording. Lance Storm, at this point in his career, such an amazing athlete. I mean, he is just such a fun guy to watch. They have a really good match. Um, so athletic, so smooth. Lance, um, who is like a 40-inch vert, he's jumping around everywhere. Great mat wrestling. Um, and then kind of have an awkward finish. Storm shoots him off the ropes, knees him in the ribs. Jerry Lynn comes in with, with tape around his ribs. He's selling his ribs. He shoots him off the rope, knees him in the ribs, and then cradles him for the pin about 17 minutes or so. But I thought this was a really, really enjoyable match to watch to open up open yeah. up a car. Both these guys, in the words of Cyrus the Virus, are phenomenal athletes. Uh, those, um, yeah, so the way Cyrus and uh, – let me start off. Cyrus and uh, – what's his name? <laughs> Joey uh, Styles. Joey, Joey Styles. I just did not like their commentary throughout this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed – I did oh, not I enjoy it. it at all. I thought so Joey I, came off as annoying. Cyrus came off as a prick, which, I mean, he was yes. trying to, obviously. Yeah. Yes, it was but great. Joe, so here's the thing. <laughs> Cyrus is fine. Yeah, he says some awful things about, you know, during this time period, obviously, it's a different climate than what's going on today. But – Joey just comes off as so annoying throughout this entire thing. I, I don't feel like he added anything throughout the entire pay per view. Well, but, I mean, it, you would hate the I mean the entirety of ECW because Joey Styles was was the like, yeah. announcer of ECW. I mean, I kind of tuned him out eventually because again, like this match, like you said, David was phenomenal between uh, Jerry Lynn and Lance Storm. I was marking out this entire time because these are two dudes who just went at it. It looked like they had some great entering chemistry. Um, 
Jerry kind of gave me a lot of Kenny Omega vibes, whether it was his ring gear or how how his hair was. I don't know. I, he, his entrance gave me a little bit of a Kenny. I Omega think that's vibe. I think that's a hot take there, buddy. I, I'm not saying. I mean, I don't know. It just felt it's what I felt <laughs> to me while I was watching it. And as the half mark here, I mean, I'm obviously wrong, and you two are the experts. So anything you say overruled <laughs> me. Uh, no, nah, but it was great. I love the beginning of this match, though the early like flurry of offense where you kind of have that catch can style, and then it ultimately ends up with a. Uh, Lance Storm doing a cartwheel to avoid the first Hurricane Rana and then Jerry Lynn hitting a second Hurricane Rana on Lance Storm. I thought that was a really fun opener. I'm like, man, I'm so excited for the rest of this card. That got me really excited. Um, you know, there were some things that like like it had been a while since I watched ECW. And like, first of all, like watching Cyrus the Virus and uh, Joey Styles talk to each other before they like went out to commentary. I don't know. I, I loved it. Like I, I, I could definitely see them being like the co-workers that hate each other but still have to work <laughs> together. I loved it. You mean our but, roommate situation freshman year? Yeah, but I'm definitely Cyrus, and you're Joey Styles. You're so. not wrong on that either. Yeah, a hundred percent. Also, big shout out. I mean, I, I love Cyrus the virus. Don Callis. He went on. He was an announcer, uh, New Japan for a while, like English announcer, along with Kevin Kelly, and he was announcer for Impact for a while. And I've always really enjoyed the guy. I think he's a good announcer. His the you guys see the collar he was wearing, the enormous <laughs> popped red collar. He looked it was like a Brian Colangelo type collar. <laughs> it was huge. It was awesome. Um, but I, I mean, I, I for one enjoyed it. Uh, I would just like to say one thing that the things that both the wrestlers and the crowd said throughout the entirety of this show, like I forgot how raunchy it was. Because they introduced Dawn Marie as Lance Storm's personal bitch. And, like, when they did it, Dawn Marie just ate it up. Like, she was so happy to be Lance Storm's bitch that it was ridiculous. Listen, man, Lance Storm is really cool. I mean, are you going to, are you, are you going to argue with her? Did you, hold on, but did you guys happen to hear what the crowd was shouting to, at her? Yes. Yes. What, she, do, we want, do we want to repeat it? Oh, I, I'm going to repeat it. It's just going to be in quotation marks when I say it. So the entire crowd, and I mean every single white dude like David talked about, said, she's a fat whore. I thought it was crack whore. No, I'm pretty sure it was crack whore. Oh, crack whore. I thought it was fat whore. Okay. I'm pretty Regardless, sure. She was, definitely were, not, she was definitely not fat. No, but they were definitely call, <laughs> calling her that. And, like, I don't know. I was just floored because she was just eating it up the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, that, that's when I decided that if I had been 16 in 1999 – I would have watched ECW exclusively. Yeah. And nothing you would, else. You would have had to get up at like two in the morning and like, get on your public access TV, <laughs> like TV channel and find it. But I would be recording it on my VHS tapes. Yeah. But like, I mean, these two guys are awesome. I mean, like talking about this match, like Lance Storm and Jerry Lynn, both these guys are awesome athletes. And like, I love this match because you see guys kind of work this type of style today, work this kind of like, you know, like, like sort of the junior heavyweight type style. And you see everybody, I mean, like you see crazier moves now than what they're doing then, but something about this match just feels so much more fast paced than everything else that you like. It just like, seems like everything is going 500 miles an hour. And it's so cool. It's ins- I think that they're both a little bit bigger than like the traditional, like junior heavyweight style. And I think that kind of contributes to it. Um, one of the things I wrote down was I didn't like the finish. And I think you mentioned that it was kind of weird. 
But like, it seems like with two guys who are just doing these incredible moves, it shouldn't end with knees to the gut and a roll up. Like, Lance Storm needs to hit something crazy, like some kind of dive, or you know, maybe the dive gets messed up. I don't know. But I thought for like all the moves and stuff they were doing, the end was kind of like a whimper. I completely agree with what Jake just said. I actually have that in my notes. It's a, a kind of a weird finish for a just absolute intense matchup that uh like you said david this did have a very uh i I wrote down it has a very uh new japan or nxt kind of feel it was just it was so different and it's a stark comparison to what we just watched in hell in a cell 2012 whereas we said for that entire card it follows that same style over and over and over again whereas here it's we they took those rules and literally threw them out the window yeah, and you mentioned that kind of like that NXT type style. And I, both of these guys are are guys that have had a lot of influence on a lot of guys that you see today. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lance Storm was a trainer for a long time, like trained a ton of guys who are, you know, you know, stars today. And I know Jerry Lynn for a lot of people who kind of came up at this time. You hear people talk all the time about how much they love Jerry Lynn and how big of an influence Jerry Lynn was on like a whole generation of like, you know, guys who ended up, you know, coming through and, and becoming stars in, in the United States. So like you see that, like, I, I think yeah, it's, it's interesting that you pick that up because those are two guys that have had a big influence on, on just the style of wrestling as a whole and a lot like influence a lot of people coming through. But, Absolutely. Yeah. So, Lance Storm beats Jerry Lynn in a pretty good match to lead off the show. Then we move on. I I think you guys kind of mentioned this whole, the second segment was just kind of bizarre and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. So Simon Diamond, who is a guy you can talk about remembering guys. Simon Diamond is a guy um, struts on down to the ring and he's, you know, cutting a promo. He needs a tag team partner. One of the things that kind of like, it kind of hit me at this point. One of the things that you kind of lose with rewatching these on the WWE Network is that they do kind of pipe in their own music because they ECW just didn't like license any music; they just played whatever, and so they have to, you know, for copyright reasons, they have to overdub stuff. So it, it kind of loses a little bit of the effect, and, and some of the atmosphere is lost. But so Simon Diamond comes in; he's cutting a promo, and he calls in this guy Tom Marquez, who I've never heard of. Um, Jazz comes out. Jazz, who is a you know one of the, one of the great women's wrestlers of the time, kind of forgotten today. She comes out, and she and this guy Tom Marquez, who I guess was a, a trainee at the ECW Academy or whatever, they have a match that lasts like a minute. Um, after Simon says just a, a bunch of really kind of racist stuff to Jazz, and don't so, forget sexist. <laughs> yes, but the racist the racist aspect stuck out to me. Um, she pins him in like 30 seconds. And then Simon Diamond attacks her, and then we kind of proceed right on to the next match. It's Simon Diamond and this guy, Tony DeVito, who was a jobber in the WWF for like the whole entirety of the 90s. <laughs> bald, bald guy wrestling in tennis shoes and Nike shorts, so he's basically going to be me in like a couple years. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Taking on this guy, Chris Chetty and Nova, who is best known as one of the members of the uh, BWO, the much beloved NWO parody uh, stable in ECW at the time. And uh, this is another match that lasts like just like a couple minutes. It's not very good. Chetty gets injured at one point. And then 
everyone just kind of rushes the ring and everyone just starts fighting each other. A whole bunch of people come out and it just turns into a whole big brawl. And then New Jack comes out with a trash can full of weapons and kills everybody. And that's, the, <laughs> you know, it's just they got everybody else who wasn't booked on the show just in this whole, you know, just bizarre showdown. And then New Jack kills everybody. And part of the, and so you did a good job describing everything. There's a, just a lot to digest here. Um, the first thing I wrote down for this entire bracket of the pay-per-view is I was kind of laughing at Simon referring to himself constantly in third person while he was cutting this promo. It got a cheap laugh out of me. And even like the – I didn't say Simon says when he was inviting that guy to the ring. Cheap laugh for me, but watching that on weeks on end would get super yeah. freaking annoying. From what I can tell, people back then hated that gimmick. Like despised it. <laughs> oh, like, sure. not not like oh he's getting heat. Like they just hated it. It's ba- the Baron Corbin <laughs> kind of heat. Yeah. Uh, if, and he I don't know. But while he was doing that, it came off very Bobby Boucher. I, I, again, I had a lot of wild <laughs> thoughts on this pay per view. <laughs> uh, it just thankfully this is just a segment that is an absolute throwaway. But because of all the action, it's hard to. Sit down and digest, digest like uh, the throwaways that we saw on Hell in a Cell. Uh, but New Jack, when New Jack came in, I had full attention. The guy just <laughs> oozed charisma, and seeing him just hit people with a bunch of different weapons was really cool. And leading up to the guitar smash over the head with a bunch of uh, looks like chalk that comes exploding out of it, that's just cool. That was just really cool. I was really happy to see that. So you know, yay. <sighs> One of the things, one of the first things I wrote down is exactly what Ames said. I, for one, love the Simon Diamond gimmick, even though people may have hated it. But David, I would just like to point something out to you that we are now in a wrestling fandom where people are referring to X Pac Heat as Baron Corbin Heat, apparently, as Angelo just did. And uh, I will not let X Pac Heat die because that is real go away heat. Now, um, I, 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 I am, I am fine with that because I don't want. Xbox good name to be tarnished <laughs> with something that's bad because I've been watching a lot of one two three kid matches oh recently from like ninety four and he was killing it. My man, he is awesome. I love. I'm a big. I'm a big uh, Sean Waltman guy. <laughs> and then the Jazz versus Marquez match was literally just Jazz having him in the testicular claw the entire time, yeah, and like either pulling or twisting on his testiculars apparently. Um, but yeah, I just like I said, Paul Heyman just watched was just loving life watching this. I had no idea what was happening though, so good for uh, good for Paul E as they yeah. called him. I actually looked up Tom Marquez earlier, and his career didn't last very long. But apparently, towards the end of his career, he wrestled a ton like around here, like Martinsburg, oh, really? West Virginia, like Hagerstown, like exclusively around here. So I guess he lived around here or something. Huh. For huh, for reference, for me and Jake live in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Which is a place. One other thing <laughs> is one other thing I noticed too. Uh, the when Chris Jetty, uh, you know, he t- hurt his ankle, and then you see that go on. They kind of improv that entire thing. He twists his ankle uh, running into Nova, and then proceeds to do a moonsault. And I just thought that was really <sighs> impressive to do on a bum ankle. Obviously, you have the adrenaline going, and he probably didn't feel it when he went off the ropes, or maybe he did. But I was impressed at his ability to not botch a moonsault with a bum ankle. Yeah. Now this was just a kind of a whole jumble. Like it was just kind of a bunch of stuff happening for no apparent reason. Um, and I mean, of course, you got to love New Jack. The fans went crazy for New Jack. Um, 
And it's it's sort of like you can't tell the story of ECW without New Jack because New Jack was legitimate insane person. So supposedly like has tried to kill people in the ring legitimately multiple times. Um, but the fans loved him, man. I mean, <laughs> they went crazy for New Jack. And so before we went on the air or started recording, because we're not actually on the air. <laughs> before we started recording, I asked the two of you, like, which, like, if you guys notice, there is a future WWE Hall of Famer who appears in this segment that this person is not acknowledged at all. And I didn't realize they were there until I looked it up. Um, the first couple people who run into this melee are the tag team of Danny Doring and Amish Roadkill, who's literally just a giant Amish guy. That was his gimmick. It was really cool. They are accompanied by a young woman named Angelica, who ends up becoming going, joining WWF and becoming known as Lita. Oh, oh really? really? He was, yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I, like, I would have had no idea. No, I like so I saw this girl with a tattoo, and I was like, "Is that Lita?" And I was like, "There's no way it's Lita." And I looked it up, and it was Lita. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna so, say the only person I recognized was Vito. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Vito's in there too. Vito's yeah, getting v- him in. <laughs> yeah. So we move on from that whole, you know, jumble of sports entertainment to another really good match. So this is the cla- one of the classic, wrestle you know the styles wrestling match types of ECW. You think of ECW, you think of the three way dance. <laughs> three-man elimination match which they was very unique to ecw and they you know did a lot back then we have little guido from the full-blooded italians angelo's people um <laughs> super crazy and yoshihiro tajiri in a three-man elimination match and this was another match that i thought was really good um, super crazy was awesome. Tajiri, I I have one thing. I have one question to ask about Tajiri. Jake, do you remember that time that Tajiri wasn't insanely cool? No, I no, don't can't, either. Can't. Tajiri's awesome. Tajiri's awesome. <laughs> and big Tajiri guy. I mean, the crowd is going crazy about Little Guido for some reason. It's it's just a really good match, and we have. Tajiri eliminates Guido first. Tajiri and, and Super Crazy working together. Um, crazy hitting him with a moonsault and, and pinning him. Um, and then it's Tajiri versus Super Crazy, which was kind of just a classic rivalry at this point. <laughs> There's a ton of great Tajiri versus Super Crazy matches, for, not just from ECW, from a lot of different places around this point in time. And then Tajiri gets his knees up on a, on a moonsault and hits the, bu- the buzzsaw kick, brain buster, and that's it. Yoshihiro Tajiri wins in about 15 minutes. Another really good match. So the thing that made me the most mad about this was seeing how great Super Crazy was and how I only know him as a tag team wrestler. This not, man, not, just a, not just a tag team wrestler. He was in that stable, the Mexicools. Yeah, the, the Mexi- whole th- Which was like, they brought them to the, like, they had them ride on, like, riding lawnmowers. <laughs> it was just like, just ridiculous stuff. And it's like, three of the best luchadors of like that whole time period, him, Psychosis, and Juventud Guerrero, who are just all three of them, amazing. And like that was the best they could do with them. 
Because like those things that Super Crazy are doing in this match is just insane. The bumps he's taking, he's taking the drop kick and the camel clutch. He's taking a mm. drop kick while he's in the tarantula, which awesome freaking move. Awesome. That tarantula is awesome. Uh, he hits that moonsault out into the crowd. And again, it just seems insulting that I only know him as the tag team wrestler who tagged with Psychosis. Um, Lil Guido, uh, He's fun to watch in this match. A lot of the reactions he does, the way he sells moves, he's over the top of the selling. I Again, l- those little things help make the match go on and make it enjoyable. And then you have Tajiru who just comes off as an absolute madman who's just willing to kill everyone in the ring and wants to kill everyone in the ring. <laughs> it just, it's just so perfect. It was just such a great match. You know, I, I, I said the same thing about the tarantula. Like, the tarantula is such a cool move, but then he's doing it to super crazy. And Guido hits him with the drop kick in it. Like, that should kill any man. Um, and then you had the uh, the double move where it was, uh, shoot, I think it was Guido had him and they called it like the, the Italian Sicilian, The camel. Sicilian crab. The Sicilian crab. The Sicilian crab. That's what it was. And uh, Super Crazy had him in like the camel clutch uh, at the same time. And I was like, man, that is just awesome. Um, so that, that, that more, those two moves were really cool. Um, yeah, just a great match overall. All of them play their character super well. And I think the name Super Crazy is one of the coolest names of all time because it's like, it tells you everything you need to know about this guy. Like, you ever heard of Super Crazy? Nah, but I bet he's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty much all you got to know <laughs> yeah. about him. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I, I was entertained the entire time. Yeah. And I think this this is a match that, if you guys have ever seen ECW One Night Stand, the reunion show that they had in WWE in 2005, which is like one of my favorite shows of mm-hmm. all time, they re- they run back the same exact match. They do a three-way dance, again, with Super Crazy, Tajiri, and Little Guido. And it's, again, really cool. And that's a match where, like, like it's like, this, like the, the spot of Super Crazy's career where he does a moonsault off the balcony of the Hammerstein Ballroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, was that that match. Was, I didn't know that was the match. That was the match. And it's oh, awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Like, Super Crazy and Tajiri especially is, like, one of the great... They're, they're sort of, like, for, like, a, a comparison to today, a little bit like um, Dragon Lee and, and Hiromu Takahashi of their time where it's, like, they pick, like, they a Japanese guy and a luchador... And they kind of get put together for whatever reason, and they just turn out to have incredible chemistry <laughs> and just have all these awesome matches everywhere for for a long time. You see, I was gonna say Super Crazy reminds me a lot of Ricochet from Lucha Lucha, Mucha yeah. Lucha. I was thinking in this match, like Super Crazy reminded me a lot. Like this version of Super Crazy reminded me a lot of you see on in WWE today Grand Metalik. Okay, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I just, see that. I agree. It's the way that he moves, and I mean, like the ring gear is mostly the same too. But like the way that he moves and just kind of the way he you know does certain moves and. The way he uses the ropes and stuff. Yeah. Reminds me a lot of Grand Metalik. And Grand, Ma- Grand Metalik is great. Good wrestler. Mm-hmm. The, Good wrestler. Well, and last thing, throughout all this, the one thing I do notice, and this is not just like localized to this match, the people that they have or the wrestlers that they have that are their high flyers, the balance that they have on those ropes is downright insane. It breaks physics how good these guys are at balancing on these about one inch thick steel mm-hmm. ropes it's just they control themselves so well so yeah. they can do all these crazy moves and that's the one thing that really stands out throughout this entire car because you see a lot of spots with these yeah. ropes let me tell you like to see that is not easy let me tell you i can tell you from firsthand experience that's not <laughs> easy at all i can't do this at i all. want to see angelo do it so badly angelo i would pay a lot of money to see you just attempt to do like an old school 
Like, where somebody even gets to hold your hand while you're up there, I just want to see you try that. I'd break my neck. <laughs> you probably, I, I probably would, honestly, man. I, I'm like Drew Gulak. I'm safe and sound feet on the ground, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we move from this to one of the most 1990s segments of the entire night. We have a backstage segment, Steve Carino, a guy who was really good around this time, who was sort of forgotten a little bit today, cutting a promo. He's joined by a young Rhino, and it's crazy mm. to like that Rhino's like 23 years old at this point. Like, this is a young Rhino because it's, it feels like Rhino has always been 37 years old. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah, I, was, I didn't know he was young ever. Yes, he, he looks exactly the same. He does. He looks exactly the same. He is still built exactly like a refrigerator. And you just have always, I felt like he was born 37 years old, but this is a young rhino. They're joined by this guy named Jack Victory, who is just, you know, a guy um, that another, another guy that people don't really remember today. And Carino was always a really good promo. He's cutting a promo saying that, you know, tonight there's supposed to be a, a world tag team title match. Tommy Dreamer and Raven are the, are the tag champs. And, Supposedly, their opponents were supposed to be the insane clown posse. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, the insane clown posse used to actually wrestle. I mean, that is a thing that they did. But they aren't here. They whipped out. And they, Steve Carino and Rhino are stepping up to take their place and challenge for the world tag team titles. But just... The mention of the insane clown posse, I was like, "Yep, this is 1999, baby." <laughs> Did you see who was in the crowd right after that? Billy Corgan. There was a the Billy Smashing Corgan Pumpkin. sighting. Billy Corgan, <laughs> the current owner of the National Wrestling Alliance. No way, is it really? Yeah, he runs the NWA now. He's always been like, oh a my huge, god, huge wrestling guy. Yeah. Oh my god! Did you know the that? NWA is run by the guy from Smashing Pumpkins? Yes. Yes, 100%. Wrestling is the greatest thing <laughs> ever. Yeah. No, that's that's real, dude. That's a oh 100% real thing that happened. Why the, did I? He was, the pres- heard, he was the president of TNA at one point. I'm pretty sure. I've, I've heard that. Like, I've heard Billy Corgan's name associated with the NWA, especially whenever uh, uh, Cody and uh, Nick Aldis were going to wrestle for the title. Yeah. Like, I heard that multiple times, and I am just now realizing that. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, he's a huge wrestling guy and he's you know, he's been in the business for a little while. That's awesome. Yeah. By the way, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is still ten out of ten album. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> ten stars, baby. Ten stars. Ten stars out of five. We go on from here to J- uh, Angelo, I know you said your like real only exposure to I know both these guys. CW was the remake, the revival of ecw in like 2007 or whatever it was in wwe these are two guys that were back in the revival of ecw we have just incredible and we have the homicidal genocidal suicidal legend sabu what did angela call him like just impossible or something like just impossible which wasn't on the podcast because it got uh cut out thank you oh no Yeah. (laughs) yeah because you ran out of space on your your hard drive. <laughs> hey, it's not my fault that we, I was recording on a laptop and I didn't realize how to save it to my external hard drive. We're all learning right now. I don't think it's fair to throw me under the bus. We're all we're all young in the podcast game. Young, and, you as, know, we as, as if we mistakes. haven't done this for four years. 
Well, no, when we did it at U92, we had a desktop computer that we had all the stuff set up on it for us, and we got hmm. to use Adobe Premiere without having to pay for it because that's <laughs> way too expensive. Those were the days. Uh, R.I.P., man. But, yeah, both I know days. both these guys. Uh, it's weird because Sabu, they didn't really change anything from what it, what we see here versus what we saw in 2007. He's still the same maniac, and even though his – uh, Arsenal isn't varied. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, whereas Just Incredible kind of came in. I remember him being the first guy, uh, first guy that CM Punk beat. And here he just—I <laughs> can't get the thought of a Stone Cold ripoff out of my head. But man, does he deliver in this match? He does a yeah, great, like, yeah, yeah. This match is great. This is a pretty good match. We have uh, Just Incredible shows up. He's in the ring, and he's cutting a promo about. How he's, you know, he's not going to fight Sabu tonight because he's actually got a restraining order saying that <laughs> Sabu cannot be in the arena tonight. And then the announcer says, well, that is a legally binding document, but it doesn't apply in ECW because there are no rules. <laughs> Apparently, not even the laws of the United States apply because it's ECW. So Sabu shows up. It's a huge pop. And there's just a it's this match is basically just you know when when you think about ECW there's like the style of ECW I feel like this is the kind of match people picture like it's the extreme championship wrestling absolutely like, it's just Sabu doing a bunch of high spots everywhere jumping off of chairs jumping through tables there's weapon spots everywhere there's people going through tables everywhere uh, just incredible blades and is just bleeding everywhere and. You know, Sabu is doing that that triple jump, you know, like leg drop. Like he does it like seven times during this match. And it gets somehow gets cooler every time he does it. And I mean, it's just, you know, that kind of classic chaotic, like hardcore match that you picture. And eventually it ends. Sabu gets hit with Justin Incredible's finisher, the tombstone. He kicks out of it, but then he misses the Arabian face buster. Incredible comes back, hits him with a tombstone on a chair, and wins. Just incredible. They're treating this like a pretty big upset, winning the match in about 14 minutes. I thought, again, another pretty good match. Oh, so I whenever I was watching it, like I just could not stop thinking about Sabu. Like, he's one of those guys that you always hear about, um, like how insane he is. And until you watch him, I really don't think you appreciate it. I think that if you were to give him like a psychology exam, you would find out that he is a legitimate psychopath. And, and I, I don't even think that this match like really ex uh, was an exhibition of how extreme Sabu was. But like you get the idea with those uh, the triple jump leg drops that you were talking about. Like every single time he did it, I was just waiting for him to like not get up afterwards <laughs> because he like broke something. I just could not believe it. Um, and then just incredible blading, and it was just uncomfortably bloody for the remainder of the match. Like I, it it always makes me cringe when I think about that. Just the ridiculous stuff that they're doing. But you know, I, you said that you kind of think this is where ECW, uh, like people's minds go when they think of ECW, and I think Sabu is a big part of that. I think a lot of people, me included, think ECW Sabu, and. That's definitely where my mind goes. I think it's Sabu or maybe RVD. Or, like or, or like the Sandman, who we don't see tonight. Or, yeah. or yeah, Tommy Dreamer, another one. Yeah, Tommy Dreamer. But I mean, all those guys, they all did, they all did things differently, but that all comes back to 
the extreme ridiculous style of wrestling that they were all capable of doing. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the match for the, uh, the exhibition of extreme that it was. Yeah. You got to love Sabu. And I, I, you mentioned like, this isn't really even like kind of scratching the surface of Sabu. I mean, this is like a normal Sabu match, right? Joey styles mentioned, like when you talk about some of the crazy stuff that Sabu did, a couple years before, and, and Joey Style referenced this match during the, the match on Anarchy Rules, where he had the barbed wire match with Terry Funk, where he oh, ends up yeah. ripping his like entire arm open on the barbed wire and then like ended up needing a hundred stitches or something. And but like during the match, just taped up his arm with a bunch of athletic tape and then wrestled the whole match. Oh my lord. And I, I, I did hear that mentioned, but they just say it as like a t- tore it with an open bicep. I am like, okay, so it's an injury. You describing that, one, I'm not surprised, but two, it's just absolutely insane and ridiculous. Uncomfortably yeah. bloody. Like, yes. Yeah. But uh, again, going into this match, you see that uh, with Sabu's, I guess, clinical insaneness. Where he's he does the spot out onto Justin uh, just incredible where he's face down on the table and he jumps and does a leg drop across the back and the table doesn't break. So what does Sabu do? He goes back into the ring, does the same thing, doesn't hit Justin Incredible, but just breaks the table. Literally just yeah. so the table would break. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of the I saw I, I saw I'm just he's in, it's just <sighs> that's how committed he is to these ridiculous matches and I appreciate it for it because it's a lot of fun to watch and it's not you have a lot of it's not a lot of variation in what he does. It's a lot of the same moves over and over. But the way he presents them is just great. And in this match you kind of see, or at least for me, the little bit of a drawback with ECW not a lot of guys are great sellers on this card. This is a match where you just see two guys beat the crap out of each other. It's still uh-huh. a good match, but you don't see a lot of the insane selling that you would see nowadays with WWE. It's a lot of stiff moves. There's a, a chair shot early on where it's not with a steel chair. It's with a plastic chair, those heavy plastic chairs that Justin Creville takes on top of the head. And he pretty much no, – he doesn't no-sell it, but there's no reaction. It's not like he's flailing all about. It's not like you see him start slumping even more. It's just a genuine no reaction, just got hit in the face with a heavy chair. Um, not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Obviously, this match still is just awesome. But you do see the lack of selling ability with these guys. Yeah. I just, I, oh, Jake, you can go. I, I think uh, in the, the last match, we're going to get somebody who does sell – pretty well but like besides that i would tend to agree that there's not a ton of it uh and the rest of the card either yeah the, and, and angelo we or angelo yeah i just the last thing uh again i just have to mention uh what i mentioned before sabu just stalls on top of those ropes and then delivers that plancha out into the crowd which <laughs> i there's a lot of them on this card but i'm a sucker for spots like that because it's just it feels like they're breaking physics yeah and yeah you mentioned you reminded me of the time that like the one time on this car that I was actually a little uncomfortable was when they did that spot to table outside with just incredible where he was kind of leaning up against the table <laughs> and it was, it was put up against the guardrail and he's leaning up against the table kind of belly to the table. And Sabu is going to jump onto his back and jo- Joey styles or, or one of the announcers says something about like, your spine's not supposed to bend that way. Like if he's going to break the table, you know, the way that you do it. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh yeah, like just incredible could die. <laughs> I don't want to look I like, please, please don't do this. Sabu. 
like 21 years ago Sabu. Please don't do this to him. Also, just my one last little fact of this match that I, I always enjoy. I mentioned that Terry Funk-Sabu match. Terry Funk, his real name, of course, is Terry Funk. Sabu's real name is Terry Brunk. <laughs> I did see that. No way. I, that yes, I saw real his thing. real name. I'm just like, this is really funny. Terry Brunk That's- versus Terry Funk. That sounds like a Gilbert versus Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> but we move on now to the ECW World Heavyweight Championship match. David, before Which, you get into it, I have a question about this. Yes. Go Can for you explain it. to me why the heavyweight championship went on before the television yes, championship? Yes, please explain this cuz I also have this in my notes. I don't I don't know. Cuz that's something I I, 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 don't know. I looked into it and I was and it like it was just it was like uh, RVD has it why not yeah like that was pretty much the only explanation I found it's because I anarchy think, rules yeah anarchy <laughs> rules I, I I don't know maybe I mean Rob Van Dam was you know they call him Mister Pay Per View maybe they were pushing that you know he's the main event of yeah. the Pay Per View I don't really know past that but I mean you okay. see that you see that in I mean in, in a lot of a lot of wrestling shows especially I mean like WWE you see it a lot where kind of the order of matches doesn't make sense. I mean, remember there was the one pay-per-view where Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe in a completely oh, non-title match main evented over a world title match. I mean, you see this stuff happen sometimes, and it's yeah. just kind of like, I don't know. Okay. I, I didn't know if maybe you had – because I know that you look at the at the uh, newsletters and stuff. I didn't know if you had seen a reason for that. No, I, I haven't really seen one. But we move on to the ECW World Heavyweight Championship match, which, as we mentioned, is the third from – the top match on the card. And not only that, it's significant because this was billed as Taz's last match. It wasn't billed as, but everyone knew it was going to be Taz's last match before he started with the WWF. It was supposed to be Taz versus the great Japanese legend Masato Tanaka. But then all of a sudden, it turns into a three-way match when Mike Awesome shows up coming back from Japan. He had wrestled in ECW kind of on and off over the preceding six, seven years, but he's coming back and, you know, is challenging Masada Tanaka and Taz to get into this match. Paul Heyman's at ringside. He cuts a great promo and lets it happen. And we get a three-way match. And so it's awesome. And Tanaka versus awesome. So Mike awesome versus Masada Tanaka versus Taz for the ECW world heavyweight championship. Awesome. And Tanaka, Two great rivals who had a series of just incredible matches throughout this whole time period. They face off, but then they turn their attention towards Taz. They both beat up Taz. And about two minutes in, Rory (laughs) Elbow from Tanaka, Mike Awesome hits the huge frog splash, and they pin Taz, ensuring that there's going to be a new ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The whole crowd, or the whole, you know, backstage, the locker room comes out from backstage. And they're all watching this because now there's there's extra gravity to this. There will now be a new world champion. <laughs> and we just get Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome for the next 11, 12 minutes just killing each other. And it is <laughs> amazing. We have probably my favorite spot of the whole night. One of my two or three. There's two or three that really come to mind. But... Mike Awesome doing the awesome bomb out of the ring through the table. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. pure death. Um, <laughs> awesome comes in. I mean, Awesome basically almost immediately wins the crowd over and they start going crazy for him because he's just a monster. I mean, Mike Awesome is amazing. He's like, 
he's built at 6'8", 300 here, and he is definitely not, but he is like, you know, <laughs> probably like 6'6", you know, 6'6", 275, 280. He's a big, big guy. And he's doing these aerial moves, and he is just looking awesome and just doing some really cool stuff. Um, he smashes Tanaka in the head with a chair over and over again, dents the chair, and then they're going back and forth. Awesome's mullet is astounding. It's picturesque. <laughs> and then eventually we get Awesome hitting the Awesome Bomb off the top rope through a table, and your new ECW World Heavyweight Champion is Mike Awesome. Yeah, I this match shocked me. Like, So I knew that this had to be one of Taz's last matches. Because I knew that he showed up in WWE in the same year, uh, WWF, whatever. But like to see Taz get put out so early is just crazy to me. Because I, I knew Taz as like the monster that didn't lose. Um, and even I think Cyrus said, you know, I thought he would hold that that belt for a long time. Um, and then ev- even w- once he was out, I think that the story, I think that it only helped the story because. Then you get the story of now who's going to be the new torchbearer? Is it Tanaka or is it Mike Awesome? Um, and I, somebody like me who didn't, who had never seen a lot of Mike Awesome, but I'd always heard about him. I think this was a pretty good intro because um, he's he's wrestling somebody who really compliments him. He's a big guy, and Tanaka, who Mike Awesome really contrasts well with. He's another big guy who can just throw him around. Um, but I agree that uh, that spot through the table was picturesque especially if you have pictures of like destroyed cities all around your house. Um, it was just a beautiful move. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I just, the one thing I thought I, I immediately forgave them was seeing Taz go out so early. The first time I was watching it, I felt robbed because Taz just, he has this air about him. The, impossible nature of him he's just super thick he's throwing people around he when he's on the mic he's just so intense when he's going back and forth with uh paul Heyman and uh, mike awesome in the crowd getting mike awesome in the match so that this becomes a three-way dance just the intensity he brings into that ring it's very daniel bryan-esque in terms of the amount of emotion he shows in the ring uh, Angela with more hot takes. Dude, I just have a lot here. There's, <laughs> I don't, again, I don't have the database you two have, so I'm just I just have to draw comparisons to what I do have. That's uh, true. But again, I just feel robbed of not seeing more of Taz because this is just amazing. And I only knew Taz as the guy who was the color commentator on Friday Night SmackDown. I didn't see any Taz <laughs> matches when I was younger. Oh man! So seeing yeah. this, I just feel I need more Taz. I just needed more Taz. But but even though I don't get Taz. Mike Awesome and Tanaka put up an incredible show. Uh, again, the finish where he does the awesome bomb onto the table. The fact that they're able to do a, you know, he's between his legs and then he pick, literally picks him up and then does the power bomb on the top rope. What, that shouldn't be possible, let alone for two guys that size. A 6'6", 300-pound man having that kind of balance is just absolutely ridiculous. Um the camera work in this match is also incredible. I like seeing the angles of when the camera guys hop up on the apron to get that real close up when they're on the top turnbuckle. I just, I always like, I kind of, I'm a sucker for that kind of shot. Uh, the chair to chair elbow uh, that Tanaka hits on Mike Awesome is, again, another kind of cool little spot. There's just so, this, this match just delivers, and it's a shame. I really do think it's a shame that this wasn't the main event because if this is the main event, 
and this is what they go off with, I feel like that's a lot better than what that actually ended up happening. Not that the last, not that the main event in this on this pay per view was any bad, but this just felt so big and so huge with Taz leaving the company, with Mike Awesome, you know, taking up the mantle of the ECW Heavyweight Champion, uh, and then the sportsmanship that you see at the end of that. It was also really sad to see, see and read about Mike Awesome. Less than a year than he retired from wrestling, uh, died. He hung. Uh, I think it's a suicide. But that was just really sad to read about because, I mean, the guy, he comes off in this match, even though he's this intense guy, as sitcom father. He's got that sitcom father look. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, this match, again, I can't, this was a great match. I really liked that. It's hard to nitpick anything here. I've always thought, Jake, were you going to go? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm with Ange. I I think, and that's kind of why I asked about why this match wasn't in the main event spot because, I think the gravity of this match was just could have been amplified. And like, if you're in the main event and you're like, oh, okay, like I can, you know, Taz is in it and then he's taken out immediately. Like, I think that that would have had huge gravity if that's the last, last thing that people are left with, you know, Mike also holding the championship after Taz is, is taken out so quickly. Um, and it, it really shocked me, especially since, uh, since we had our guy balls in that match in the main event. I mean, for me, I, 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 I know, Angelo, you kind of said you felt a little bit robbed. You wanted to see a little bit more Taz. I think it's a great, it's, it's a great decision. I thought, it, like, booking-wise, it's really Oh, good. no, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, it, it, it immediately, like, when he gets pinned, and especially gets pinned early, that puts those two guys over, I think, really hard mm-hmm. to, to be the ones to get him out that early. And then it just heightens your your interest in the rest of this match because you're like, oh, okay, like now this is getting really real. Now we're going to have a new champion and now we're going to see these guys show down and you know that you're going to get something really special and really notable out of this. Um, and I just, the thing about Taz that I love, I mean, you talked about, like he has that aura, just that badass aura, especially for a guy who's like, what, like 5'8", maybe? 5'9", I think <laughs> he's, he's listed at. Yeah, he, I, he's probably not 5'9". I mean, the guy just had just a pure badass aura about him. And I mean, like, I don't know how many guys ever could, like, could you beat a guy in two minutes and have the guy who gets pinned in two minutes still come out and, like, you look at Taz and you're like, yeah, he just got pinned in two minutes, but he still looks like a freaking badass. Like, that is rare to have. Like, Ooh, so that, I just, that is a bad I just thought dude. of a comparison. He reminds me of, of Tomohiro Ishii. He does. Being like a short, stout guy who like can take everything and pop back up at one, but you also believe that he got beat that quickly. Yeah, that I think that's what that reminds me of. Now that I think about it, I don't think that's a bad. I don't think that's a bad uh, comparison, right there. Angela, just, we got to get you watching some of she matches, baby. I mean, I, oh, I remember watching uh, Ishi uh, versus Moxley uh, over the last G One. Oh, watch Kenny. Uh, that was that, uh, so good. The Kenny, Kenny the Kenny Ishii Omega one from the G One in 2018. That match, like, you want to talk about legit brutal without any weapons. Wow. I, I just st- I just think about that match, like, probably at least twice a week. I just start <laughs> thinking was- about the Kenny Omega Ishii match. Just tell, tell Angela your lasting image of that match. I remember, like, just, just the, the image I have of that match. I, I watched that match 
and I watched the Japanese commentary. And I, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a little bit pretentious, but I, I like listening to the Japanese guy, the, the Japanese announcers lose their minds because I just feel like it adds so much more, even though I can't understand a single word. That they <laughs> it adds so much more atmosphere because they just make everything seem like it is the most important thing that has ever happened. But didn't wasn't the the last thing the Kenny at the end of the match? Oh well, I, I was I was gonna get there. <laughs> okay, but okay. Just like the moment I always think about. One is there's one spot like there's maybe seven eight minutes left in the match, maybe a little bit more. They're starting to really like get going and really build it up, and you see Kenny do this like diving double stomp to Ishii while Ishii's <laughs> lying on the apron. And then you just hear the the Japanese announcer go, holy shit. <laughs> uh, I was like, this is so sick that the Japanese announcer is changing languages. On <laughs> and then, of course, Jake, I know, you, you, you know, you're saying the last image of the match. They have this insane match. Ishii hits the brain buster. One, two, three. And then Kenny, like, sits his head up. And he's just bleeding from the mouth everywhere. And it's like, my God. And he didn't bleed at all. I mean, no, he was, he was, just, he was legit beat up. He is, he is bleeding from just the mouth. It's just insane. Just absolute insanity. Uh, that's the watch list. No, that's put tangent. that on. That is one of that's the greatest a- matches in the history of wrestling. But I will say, this, this was definitely my favorite match of the night. This is easily what I thought was... It was a perfect example of ECW wrestling. It was super enjoyable, enjoyable to watch. It wasn't necessarily gruesome, so like this match would still have play nowadays. So I, this was just again. I feel robbed because I didn't get to see Taz, but once Taz went out, I was on the edge of my seat. Even though this is a pay per view that happened twenty one years ago. Yeah, hmm. and I know Tanaka and Awesome is considered kind of one of the great in ring rivalries. Not just of ECW, but just around the world around this period of time, they had a ton of great matches. And I was into, like, what did, what did you guys kind of think? I don't know if you guys have ever seen like a, a Mike Awesome Masada Tanaka match before. They had a ton of great ones, and I mean, I'm a huge Mike Awesome guy. I think you don't see a lot of guys like him with that size who were able to do the things that he did. And Masada Tanaka is still wrestling today in Japan. He's still awesome, and he still looks literally exactly the same as he did 21 years ago, except his hair is thinner. I mean, you kind of feel... I mean, these two guys had good ingering chemistry, and you kind of see that portrayed. I do like the fact, this is I will commend the commentary team, that they're mentioning all those things that they've been doing together through New Japan or during their Japanese uh, adventures. Uh and it does help build up this feud as not only is this for the flag bearer, but now you also have this deep seated rivalry. The Jeff Jones inclusion is the little weird part for me. It kind nah, of takes me out. But like, he's just some guy. I know he's just some guy. But everything else with this is just, again, very well done. And it's why Paul Heyman is one of the best in the business. <laughs> yeah. Probably, in my opinion, check this one out. I already mentioned ECW One Night Stand before in 2005. Uh, again, one of my favorite shows ever. There is a Masato Tanaka Mike Austin match on that show that might be the best one that those two ever had. And the crowd, like Mike Austin comes in and the crowd hates him because they see him as a, a sellout for jumping to WCW when he was the champion the next year. Hmm. And by the end of the match, they're going crazy for him. Like, they are in love with the guy again. It's amazing. 
moving on to the last couple matches on the show, we talked about you know Tanaka and Awesome, one of the great rivalries in ECW. This is kind of an allusion to what I think is like the definitive rivalry in ECW history: Tommy Dreamer and Raven, mm-hmm. who had a long feud throughout like, 95, 96, 97. Now they are the tag team champions. We've already seen Rhino and Steve Carino step up in their backstage segment earlier in the night. They're going to face off with these two guys for the tag team championships. And, and, and Tommy Dreamer and Raven, they're kind of doing the, you know, they're the tag team champs and they don't actually like each other. And it's <laughs> a whole thing. Um, we have a long promo kind of going through the history of the Raymond, the, the Raven Dreamer rivalry, real soap opera stuff. It's kind of like that one episode, the, the WTF episode of South Park a little bit. <laughs> um, but then this is one of my favorite this is just classic ECW we have Joel Gertner show up but Joel Gertner who was at one point the manager for uh, the Dudley Boys for a long time in ECW before they went over to WWE um, he shows up and you know he's basically like you know the crowd goes crazy for him because he's basically just kind of a chubby guy who wears a neck brace and he's always wearing a blazer with no shirt underneath. And he just cuts these weird, like sexual limericks and they're actually really (laughs) funny. And he's always really entertaining. He comes out and he interviews Tommy dreamer. And then, you know, dreamer cuts a big baby face promo and then out come Carino and Rhino and Raven has not shown up. They're going two on one. Rhino just is going crazy everywhere because he's Rhino. He's awesome. And then after a couple minutes, Raven finally shows up and hits Rhino with a DDT. And then Dreamer and Rhino hit a double DDT, and then they win in like three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I. You, you talk about this being like the crowning uh, feud of ECW. And Tommy Dreamer, like when I was, uh, I don't know, I was probably playing like SmackDown versus Raw, like 2005 or something like that. And they had Tommy Dreamer as an available character. And he was always the guy I played with because he wrestled in like a t-shirt and jeans. And I was like, man, that is just a great guy right there. That's who I always played with. Um, but uh, I could never hit his finisher for some reason. And I, to this day, I remember that I was lost. But I'm a big Tommy Dreamer guy. I think that he's like in a in a world of like extreme wrestling. Like he was a really extreme guy, but he was also able to like sell being the baby face despite that despite that he, like, committed assault on many people, like, in the ring. Um, but yeah, I, and they do the classic thing where, like, his tag partner didn't show up, and Raven shows up, and, and it's all good. Um, and seeing also seeing Rhino, as David said, who was built like a refrigerator at this point, is just A+. I really wish we could take Raven and drop him into today's wrestling, whether it's <laughs> any promotion. Because that promo was really unique, and I thought, and I enjoyed the entire thing. The way that it was cut together, even though it's 1999, cheesy cutaways and music, but the entire theme of it, talk about the rivalry between him and Dreamer, uh, the the you know the general feel, him just in this random schoolyard swing set, and just walking to the back to the fence. It's just made for some really cool imagery. Uh, it just he's another guy that just has this way of speaking and i was reading a little bit into it and how it's pretty much just based on uh the edgar Allan poe poem uh this character 
but it just works. I thought I enjoy it. It's a very culty feel without it actually kind of being a cult, so to speak. Well, Raven's Raven literally was like a cult leader. No, I, I I I read <laughs> that the Raven's flock or the Raven's nest or yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I just enjoy, the character. I I knew who Raven was. I recognized the name from uh, ECW, but I never really knew who the character was or who the wrestler was. And I was sold on him within the first minute of watching that, like the history of him and Dreamer. Uh, but. The match, I mean, it's not much of a match, but I enjoy the story that they told with the promo and with how the save comes in. And it's kind of funny to see Raven come rushing in and then get stuck and hung up on the ropes. But still, oh, yeah. Raven, <laughs> is, the thing I take away from this is that Raven is really cool and that Tommy Dreamer is who Shane McMahon wishes he was. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like it's not really much of a match, but also at the same point, you know, it's an ECW event. And you kind of want to see Raven and Dreamer. You know, it sort of feels like you really would be missing him if they weren't there, at least for a couple minutes. And I mean, you know, Dreamer cuts, I think, just a great babyface promo. I mean, he's awesome. And also, because, uh, you know, it's, it's 1999 and they're in Chicago, he makes a nice reference to uh, Sammy Sosa hitting 60 dingers, which, uh, remember Sammy Sosa? <laughs> That's remembering. About guy. remembering guys. That's a guy. That's a guy. So, We're remembering something. Something that makes me think about, and correct me if I'm wrong, but so we've done King of the Ring 2000, Fall Brawl, what did we do, 94? 94. We did Hell in a Cell 2012, um, and now this. We, I still don't think that we've had a pay-per-view that we would call like quintessential for the time period because like this, this, this card didn't feature Dreamer and, uh, or, or Raven. Uh, Fall Brawl didn't feature Hogan or Flair. Um, Hell in a Cell 2012. I mean, it had CM Punk, who was definitely top, but like no big Cena match or anything. Um, and you know, King of the Ring, um, I, I think was kind of left in that same boat. So I'll be excited whenever we get to one of those that's like a true quintessential pay per view. Mm-hmm, for sure. And so we now move on to talking about quintessential, maybe the quintessential ECW guy right here. I am talking, of course, about Balls Mahoney. <laughs> Great swear. Balls, Balls Mahoney is challenging for the ECW World Television Championship. As we said at the beginning of the show, not originally advertised as a Balls Mahoney-Rob Van Dam match. Originally, it was going to be Rob Van Dam defending his TV championship against a guy named Johnny Smith, who was a British guy who, you know worked around you know the world a bit you know in england it worked in japan for a while you know had a couple stints in ecw um the smith name coming from he was at one point in the late 80s when he was working in stampede wrestling in calgary was actually the kayfabe brother of the british bulldog davy boy smith davy boy so that's where he got the name johnny and he just kept the name johnny smith his whole career but from what I read, apparently uh, Paul Heyman decided like a couple of days before the event that Johnny Smith, not nobody knows who Johnny Smith is. So we got to <laughs> we got to switch him out. We can't have this, you know, Johnny Smith match be last on the show. So they switch it out. They have Axel Rotten show up and he calls out, you know, Mike Awesome. And then we have Lance Storm shows up with Johnny Smith and, Cre- and Justin Credible. 
and it turns into a big brawl between Lance Storm and his friends and Axel Rotten and his friends. Somewhere along the line, Spike Dudley hits Johnny Smith in the head with a chair really, really hard. And they're selling it like Johnny Smith's knocked out. He can't, he can't wrestle. So he gets replaced with our good friend Balls. And so we get Balls versus Rob Van Dam. And Balls Mahoney, the greatest wrestling ring name in the history of wrestling. I'm just going to say it right now. His name is Balls Mahoney. And this was a very differently paced type of match, I think, than the, than the rest of the night. We had a lot of fast-paced stuff. We had some of the lucha. We had some of the, the Japanese-style hard-hitting wrestling. We saw some of the kind of fast-paced, you know, catch wrestling type stuff. In, in the first match, we saw some of the, you know, kind of quintessential Sabu, ECW, extreme match. This, for a lot of it, was more of a traditional kind of, slower pace slower developing they try to tell a story and then they kind of build up to you know some of the big spots with rob van dam you know flying 500 feet into the crowd and hitting (laughs) people with chairs and stuff but this was a a differently paced match rob van dam who was the great athlete who had all the agility and did all the cool kicks facing off against balls mahoney who i thought looked pretty good in this match did some stuff that you don't really expect to see from balls who had a uh, a reputation as a brawler who was going to just hit you with chairs a lot did some aerial moves did some some good power moves and some some real wrestling out of him uh maybe my favorite spot of the night other than the mike awesome the awesome bomb to the to the floor rob van dam did a somersault dive from the top rope to the outside like three rows deep into the crowd and he probably traveled at least like 20 yards it was in, insane and uh, we then end up having Van Daminator off the top turnbuckle from RVD, five-star frog splash, and Rob Van Dam, Mr. Pay-Per-View, retains the World Television Championship in the main events. Match lasted about 20 minutes. First of all, I know no one's going to see this, but the Rob Van Dam point is just iconic. <laughs> I, I remember both me and my brother, when my brother was still interested in wrestling, marked out hard for whenever RVD did, uh, RVD did that. And I believe Rob Van Dam was my brother's favorite wrestler to use on the SmackDown vs. Raw video games. <laughs> I mean, RVD was a very popular person in this household. Uh, RVD really makes this match for me. I didn't but balls had some moments. It didn't. It wasn't that balls looked bad, but just the pacing of this match made it really hard to, especially with everything else that happened before, like everything how this card has been going. It's a very stark difference between what we've been watching versus what this match was. This, I don't think the slowdown did them any favors, but you do get some cool spots. The RVD flip into the crowd is just downright silly. That man is just so agile and. The things that he can do in the ring, the things he can do from the ropes, just they break your mind. And my mind definitely did break during this uh, match. I will say Balls had a sit-out spine buster that was just picture perfect. Yes. And you know what? If nothing else, Balls sold the fact like he wrestles the way he needs to wrestle to sell everything that he needs to sell. Uh but you also have that superplex that RVD hits on balls, which was just ridiculous. You have a monkey flip that he hits on balls, which, again, he's throwing around a guy that's like 300 pounds. And that's just, again, absolutely mind-breaking with a guy that's that agile and that strong. And then RVD as a worker and a seller in this match really makes it even better to watch because 
the moves that Balls is doing versus how RVD is selling them. Just an absolutely great sell. I mean, I just didn't like the pacing of this match. I think that's the biggest drawback for me. I keep coming back to the pacing. Yeah. I think maybe if they we were talking about why wasn't the World Heavyweight Championship match last? You switch those two matches, these two matches on the card, I think that that kind of change of pace is a lot better received when it's the third to last match instead of the final match. Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say about this, and then I'll let you know, Jake go, is uh, Bill, Alf- Bill Alfonso is going to die call was the best thing that Joey Styles <laughs> said on the night. Bill Alfonso. Um, I, I have a couple things. Um, one, the first thing I wrote down is that RVD is built like a middle school fullback that you hand the ball off to 35 times a game, <laughs> and he just gets you 250 yards every single game. Like, oh, my God. I, I just kept looking at him and be like, man, I want him on, on, on a little league football team. Um, and I also want to know just how many times we've said balls so far because it's been, uh, it's been a lot. We should have kept um, the counter. <laughs> the balls counter. I genuinely um, think it's my favorite ring name of all time. <laughs> it's so freaking perfect. Uh, wasn't it with a Z? No, it was, it was just it was an S. It was just Balls oh. Mahoney. Which I, I like it better that way. Yeah, I do too because it's not trying to be cool. He just no, wants you just, to know. He's just got, it's just balls. Hi, <laughs> balls. Um, I I love RVD and I, I think that he doesn't get credit as an actual wrestler. I think that he's so often remembered for ECW and people just kind of associate him with like the extreme wrestling. But my man could work. He had all those kicks and stuff like David talked about, and I think that, that sets up really cool counters for other moves. Like uh, balls had the. Uh, uh, like at one point, RVD kicked the chair into Ball's head, which I thought was super cool. Um, it just sets up a lot of that. Something that I think RVD does super, super well, and Ange said this, is selling. But I don't just mean selling the offense from the other guy. I think he sells his own offense. Uh, and what I mean by that is very rarely do you see guys sell a frog splash like him. He hit the frog splash and then sold the damage to himself super well because, you know, in kayfabe, I, I talk about how much I love kayfabe. If you land on somebody else, you're not just hurting them. Like, you also just landed on a person. So it's probably going to hurt you, too. And, like, he's, like, grabbing his ribs and, like, struggling to get back uh, to the cover, which I, I think just sells that underdog and, you know, uh, coming from the bottom storyline super well. Um, so, yeah, give me – Give me the RVD middle school fullback and uh, and him selling that five star frog splash all day. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, moving on, I mean, finishing up this show again for for the two of you guys. I know Angelo, as we said, this was your first real exposure to the original ECW, and I know Jake, you hadn't seen a ton of ECW. What was your kind of overall takeaways from? I mean, not just the card itself in terms of like the matches and everything, but just it, it was, you know, this is ECW, which was, you know, the big kind of, it was, it was like the underground, you know, underground favorite that caught on through word of mouth and, and became kind of, again, an underground sensation. And now they're at this, this period of time where they're really trying to kind of, you know, go national. And this is, this is shortly after, just a month before they debuted their weekly show on TNN, which is now Spike TV. So it was like the first time that really everybody could see ECW. Before this, you know, it was 
an underground still, I mean, relatively regional promotion where if you ever saw ECW, it was because you either a went to a show like a live show in like Philly or New York or wherever, or you got to see, you know, the, the syndicated TV show at two in the morning, or you were a tape trader, which is the thing that doesn't exist anymore because of the internet. <laughs> what, mean, what were your, what were your guys kind of takeaways about like just the vibe of it? Because it's very different. I mean, like things don't really, because of the internet, because of social media, things aren't really like underground anymore the way they could have been in like the nineties. I'm not sure this ever gets replicated again. I think this is a truly, we're, we're not going to see another ECW again. The passionate, the passion of the fan base, and say what you want about the chance, say what you want about you know some of that commentary because the commentary it, it explains the fans. There's just a lot of passion. You can tell that. You can tell that from the reactions of the uh, three-way dance with uh, Taz, Mike Awesome, and T- uh, not T- uh, yeah Tanaka. Uh, there's just a lot of passion. They're very excited for with who they are. It's a close-knit community. You see that when Taz is kind of. Taz is getting his chance, but then he points to Awesome to chant to cheer for Awesome because now he's the guy. It just seems very so close knit. AEW is close to that, but it's not nearly that scale. It's not nearly that passionate because um, those ECW fans are extreme, and they do put the E in ECW. Uh, overall, the card I thought was fantastic. You have a lot of variety here. I mean, between we mentioned the Balls Mahoney RVD match, uh, the three way dances. Lance Storm versus Jerry Lynn, all of them are different styles of matches. And the fact that they have that range as a small company is extremely impressive. And there isn't, you could say that there's some botches, but they're not nearly as bad, I think, as some other cases of botches. Uh, the three matches, the three way, the two three way dances and Lance Storm versus Jerry Lynn, I thought those were perfect matches in terms of what they were. They were paced extremely well. They lasted the right amount of time. They told the story that they needed to tell. Um, I thought Sabu versus Just Incredible and then obviously RVD and Balls, they were a little bit too long, but they were still very good matches in their own right. Um, there are some things that aren't from the time on this card, like there's the sexism, the racism, uh, that kind of make you cringe a little bit. But tune those out and you just watch the wrestling for what it is. It's really it's impressive to see in 1999 for a small company. Yeah, I... I, I definitely enjoyed this pay-per-view because I'm definitely a fan of like the extreme type of wrestling. Um, and there wasn't a ton of that on this card, but I, I definitely enjoyed that, uh, like the violence of it. Um, but again, I, I said this earlier, I, I'm still waiting on that, like, that quintessential pay-per-view, man. I, I, I want to get like a, like a, a taker, um, versus Shawn Michaels, something like that. Like that, that's what I'm really waiting. Or and if I was talking about this, like a, Tommy Dreamer versus Raven match, like, uh, or Tanaka versus Mike Awesome one on one, something like that. Um, I'm still waiting on that, but overall, I liked it. You know, Balls versus RVD was a lot of fun, um, even if, like Ann said, it was a little bit too long. Um, but I love watching Tajiri Tajiri wrestle. I, I would watch him wrestle a broomstick probably. Um, but they were it, it was a lot of fun, and I, I think it was a. Uh, <laughs> I definitely think that my favorite part was whenever uh, Justin Credible had the uh, restraining order, but the ring announcer was like, actually, it doesn't count because there's no rules. The law of the United States government does not apply in ECW. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Um, Angela, you kind of bring up something that, uh, Jake, am I cutting you off? I don't want to cut you off. I'm done. Okay. Um, One of my 
the things that I really enjoy about ECW, I when you picture ECW again, most people picture the extreme wrestling. You picture Sabu going through tables. You picture the Sandman smashing beer cans into his own <laughs> skull. You picture all that stuff. You picture RVD kicking chairs through people's heads. But this card really illustrates one of that promotion's greatest strengths was the the variety. Every match is different. You get a lot of different styles. You get a lot of different types of people doing a lot of different things. It's one of the reasons why I like AEW so much is I feel like on any given show, every match is going to be different and you see a lot of different styles and a lot of different things. And yeah, I mean, it's most remembered as, you know, the extreme wrestling because it was literally titled extreme championship wrestling, but you got to see, you know, the Japanese style, you got to see the luchadors, you got to see the technical style, you got to see a whole lot of different things with a lot of different people. And, and, and a lot of times it, it, it was the first exposure for a lot of people to some of these styles in America that hadn't really gotten to see, you know, someone like Tajiri work the way that Tajiri did, for example, because that's not going to get featured on, on huh. WWE or get featured on WCW. So I think that kind of shows one of the great strengths of this promotion. So that'll bring us to one of our last uh, things of the nights, our two and a half marks. Hmm. Angelo, you want to get us going? It's called a mark. It's called a mark. It's called a mark. Okay. So. So you're half star. No. (laughs) So my my half mark, I'm going to give it to Taz solely because in those few minutes that we get to see him, he makes me wish I got to see more of him. And I think that's a really hard thing for wrestlers to do is in a short time, make Make it make them somebody you want to watch more of, and Taz does that in the two minutes. He puts over Tanaka. He puts over Awesome. He helps sell the match at the end. You see like the sportsmanship and the professionalism that he shows. Even if his character is this absolute psychopath who wants to kill everyone he's in the ring with, you kind of see the curtain fade, and he's just willing to shake the better man's hand for that night. You see how the locker room, you know, kind of comes around him. You see the embrace that he has with Paul Heyman. Uh, and again, like I said, those two minutes that he's in the match, just him throwing around Tanaka and Awesome, uh, the, that stiff clothesline he hits on Awesome, then he just uh, does a belly-to-belly to Tanaka. He's throwing them around like they're paperweights, and it's just incredible to see. I'm going to give my half mark to Taz. My one mark I'm going to give to RVD. I mean, the guy is just insane. Uh, and it's it, thank God he did get a run in WWE because when ECW eventually you know folded, because the guy is super talented and he's a great worker. He's a great seller. He sell like Jake said, you don't see guys sell his sell their offense as much in, anymore. RVD was doing that back in 1999. Uh, the spots, uh, him jumping out into the crowd is ridiculous. The monkey flips that he does, that agility. You don't see that with a lot of guys, and watching him is just always going to be an enjoyable experience no matter who he's going up against. And then the last part, the two marks, is going to go to Super Crazy. I mean, again, <laughs> another guy that uh, similar to RVD, another guy that just absolutely sells, another guy that just has a ludicrous offensive arsenal, uh, the moonsaults that he was hitting, the balance on the, on the ropes, um, the submissions that he was put in, the spots that he was willing to take. Not a lot of guys are willing to be put in a tarantula, have no feet on the ground, and then take a dropkick right to the jaw. <laughs> I'm, it's just – it's crazy to say the least. Uh, so he's going to get my two marks. I, 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 there's, I wanted to do it by matches because there was a lot of matches I really enjoyed on this card and a lot of people I enjoyed watching. 
Uh, but I'll go half mark to Taz, one mark to RVD, two marks to Super Crazy. So when I was looking at my marks, I you know, I, I like to, to go non-traditional sometimes like I did last week. So I, I did the same thing. So my half mark this week goes to ECW ring names because there are some absolute winners on this card. Balls Mahoney, just incredible, super crazy. And I know super crazy uh, would wrestle other places with that name, but just fantastic. Little Guido. Uh, what was There was one more. Simon Diamond. I mean, those names... They're either late 90s ECW or early 90s WCW. Like, that's the only places that those things would have showed up. Um, and both of those places are unique places. Um, and even, like, like Rob Van Dam, like, that's just such a cool name. And I love every, I love every single one of them. Um, my one mark is going to go to Raven's ability to enter a ring. Because he absolutely forgot how to do that for about five seconds in this pay-per-view. He hit the ring with so much energy that he just ended up going back first onto the uh, ring apron. And I thought it was beautiful. Um, because, like, he's coming in to make this big save, be super cool. And then he just crashes and burns, baby. Um, and then my two marks, I'm giving it to the ECW crowd. Because they – I wish – I. I, I can't hear, and I wish I could have understood some more of the chants that they were putting out because I guarantee you they were incredible. Uh, we talked about the the she's a something whore, probably crack whore, about uh, Dawn Marie. Um, there was oh my gosh, what were the other ones? I forgot to write there's, it down. There's a lot really of you, there's a lot of you suck something in there as well. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. So instead of like the you suck chance for uh, uh, Kurt Angle, you get a literal you suck. Uh, I'm just going to say, you get a you suck dick chant out of the ECW crowd. Like, that is just absolutely amazing to hear on TV. Um, oh, my gosh. There was another one in, like, the in the balls match, I think. But I can't remember what it was. But the ECW crowd is just, you, like David said, you can just tell it's a bunch of dudes whose, like, interests are wrestling and girls that they have no chances with. <laughs> The E so in this episode a, stands for explicit. <laughs> the half to so my half mark was ECW ring names. My one mark goes to Raven's ability to enter a ring, and my two marks goes to the ECW crowd in Chicago that night. For me, this one is really hard because there's more people that I want to give marks to than I have spots for. So some guys are going to get left out. I'm going to give my half mark to Lance Storm just because I thought he kicked off this this show in a great way not to you know and of course jerry lynn also great but i just watched this and i was blown away by how athletic lance storm was in the ring he just looked amazing uh my my one mark is going to go to tajiri because i love tajiri i've always loved tajiri <laughs> he is still cool he has always been cool and he's 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 awesome i mean i i don't have anything else to say about it real quick like, sorry to interrupt you was he the green mist guy too he was the green mist. He was yeah, green he, mist did, he did the green mist in uh, in WWE. Um, and then lastly, my two marks go to Mike Awesome. I am a huge Mike Awesome <laughs> fan. I again, not a lot of guys that size who would do the things that Mike Awesome did and did them with abandon. And you know, this is the thing is like this match. Him and Masato Tanaka had a really really good match, but. 
they have so many better ones. I mean, it's it's hmm. a testament to how good those guys were together in the ring. This is maybe like the seventh best match that these guys had. <laughs> but Mike Awesome just sold the whole thing because he was just such a physical freak of nature. And you don't see guys like him. They just don't make people like Mike Awesome. So that will about wrap things up on Anarchy Rules 1999. And this is now time for our last Ooh. order of business. We're going to favorite here time. we go. A randomizer and see what Hold we're going to go over next David, week. David, what do you want the next week? I, you know, we've we've hit a few different time periods, right? We yeah, hit yeah pre NWO WCW. We hit, you know, 2012 WWE. We hit Attitude Era WWE. We've hit now kind of late ish period ECW. I'm kind of hoping for late period WCW. Something just trash. <laughs> <laughs> I want Crash like the Beach 2000. I want WCW Road Wild 1999. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, please give me something I want like something that. really really bad. What about you boys? I'm still thinking I want something in the 80s like I want to go all the way back and see just how different it was. If not that, I'd like something late 2000s so I could see some of the matches I actually remember watching. Uh, live or some guys I remember watching a lot of when I was watching Friday Night SmackDown. I'm ready. For, I'm ready for a Mania or a SummerSlam. That's well. I want something like that. Jake, I can confirm that you're going to be happy about this one. Ooh. We have a SummerSlam. Oh, uh, I'm. I hope it is late '90s SummerSlam. It is not late '90s SummerSlam. Okay, it is SummerSlam 2006. Ooh, okay. Oh, hold Main, on. Was this uh, Umaga? No, it was not ah. Umaga. Main event: Edge versus Lita for or uh, Edge, Edge and Lita versus oh. Edge, Edge with Lita. <laughs> <laughs> Edge, Edge versus John Cena for the WWE Championship. Classic. Oh, man, I was hoping it was Edge versus Lita. That'd be a great match. <laughs> We've got Edge, Edge versus John Cena. We've got the Degeneration X revival, Sean and, and Triple H against. Vince and Shane McMahon. We've got Batista versus King Booker. We've okay, got, now this yeah. is oh, WWE this is this is my era. This is yeah. my yeah. era. We've got a Ric Flair, Mick Foley, I Quit match. It's oh be my gosh, this is going to be so much yes. fun. I could have asked like, for better. This is going to be like this is good for me because like this is when I started watching wrestling <laughs> when I was a kid. So oh, I am excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, looking forward to reliving SummerSlam 2006 next week on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. That'll do it for this week. So for Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, I'm David Statman. And once again, thanks for listening. Thanks.